decoded. Welcome to this new series of Founder Tech Decoded. In this series, we focus finally on the founders. In series one, we talk to the platforms that are helping define and inform what Founder Tech could be. In series two, we talk to the investors that are helping reframe what that landscape might look like, particularly from the perspective of more founder-driven capital. In series three, we talk to the founders who are currently trying to navigate this landscape and reimagine it. Reimagine it in the sense that for most founders, the experience of navigating the early stage pre-seed space is one of common frustration, coming up against barriers and inefficiencies that don't seem to make any sense and don't seem to add any value to the process, particularly for really good founders who have a point of view, a sector expertise, and a domain understanding that differentiates them from other founders. What those founders consistently want is to be able to identify and engage with investors that understand and value that point of view and can understand that their conversa the conversation that they wish to have is elevated, considered, nuanced, not generic and treated as if they have just arrived with a bog standard pitch deck, with a bog standard idea, uh, without any point of differentiation and nuance. So the three founders that we have today are Henry from Creator, Mercurius from TutorBlock, hi Mercurius, and Claire from Untap. It's great to have all three today because they they all represent this type of founder that I'm interested in talking to. They are all um, have this unique point of domain expertise um, that I'm going to introduce the concept of founder market fit very early because I think they all embody that. Founder market fit is a sort of cousin to the traditional product market fit that tends to dominate these conversations. Product market fit meaning does this product fit the market at this particular moment and does it have metrics and uh, insights and scalability that is discernible at the moment. The problem in these pre-seed early stage conversations is that those metrics simply aren't available, not through anyone's fault, it's just not simply at that stage of the journey. So most of what the Founder Technicoded uh, series has been, uh, particularly series two, has been focused on is how do you square that circle? How, when you have a, exceptional founders on exceptional journeys trying to solve really difficult problems who can't demonstrate product market fit or are just before that line, how do you evaluate them? The solution to squaring that circle seems to be founder market fit. And, and as the term suggests, it's about assessing is this the right founder with the right approach to the right problem? Not rocket science. However, it's very, very difficult for investors um, to have this conversation. And before we, we talk to Henry, Claire, I'm curious and dive into this. Yesterday, there was a report from Doxen, which gave some insights into what's actually going on in this space that sort of are very, very illustrative. Some just highlights or lowlights, however you might want to interpret them. In 2021 to 2022, there was a decrease in, of 24% in the overall time spent by VCs reviewing pitch decks. In uh, Again, in that 2021 to 2022, there was a decrease of 20% in VC time spent on successful uh, pitch decks. And again, in that transition, there was a drop of 42% of VC time spent on unsuccessful decks. 
there's loads of stats in here, but the but the interesting ones are what you've got is an increase in the company purpose uh, rising to third in the in in terms of the time VC spent reviewing, and 52% um, is a drop in time spent on product, and a drop of 42% spent on business model, um, and an increase spent on traction. But what these stats support is what we've been seeing in the podcast is that actually when you try and review um, pitch decks and founders through the lens of product, it's very, very difficult. You don't have enough information and VCs aren't, are, are getting increasingly increasingly problematic for VCs to, to review founders in this way. However, things like company purpose, um, traction and other what's been called subsurface clues that are not product related seems to be uh, increasing in importance. So after that um, sort of introduction, um, Henry, I'm going to start with you because you've already completed one funding round. What's been your experience with this, with this, this, talk about this fundamental sort of relationship of evaluating your founder market fit, which I would say is exceptionally high given your track record? But do you want to just give us that a very quick, you know, your, your, your founder journey, not the product, but the journey that's led you to here and why you have founder market fit? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was a session musician, bass player for about 10 years, travelled around internationally with a load of artists that no one ever heard of, but then also some much more significant people played at Glastonbury, Royal Albert Hall, O2, and found during that time that lots of the people that I was working for didn't really understand the music business, which is obviously critical to their their revenue. So I thought, oh, there's probably a need here to build some tools or start a company that can help creatives understand the industry that you know they need to be integrating with so started a record label and music publishing company ran that for about five years grew to over a thousand songs two gold records over 100 million streams and during that process realized that even people who have those kind of businesses you know working on behalf of creators still struggle to operate efficiently in the kind of macro landscape of the music industry so then you know, using the learnings from what I knew about working with creatives and then knew about managing rights, managing songs, releasing records, started a, a company and looked to raise investment to build a platform to kind of marry up and leverage the problems of creators with the wider, you know, multi-billion dollar problems that the industry has. You know, two and a half billion dollars annually is misallocated or unallocated doesn't get through to the people whose songs are being used on platforms like Spotify. There's a clear a clear problem and my experience through my career had kind of you know validated that I knew the space very very well. I knew the people who were suffering from the problems and then I'd actually experienced the problems myself in building you know my my own record label publishing company and yet even those were so difficult to leverage into um you know raising capital to then have a stab at solving the more macro level problem for the industry and it was really interesting in that journey trying to you know utilize my story and my experience and my network and contacts to then you know show and validate to investor leads pre-product you know really kind of pre company that I was the right person and had a idea that had a you know a good chance of succeeding and unlocking 
the you know a well documented and high value space. And there was really, in this conversation so apt because it was such a challenge. But I, you know, from my perspective, had all the the tools to be able to um, unlock that capital. Um, but it was a struggle, even though you know the story was coming across and why that was. I don't know. I, as you say, Dan, I think the way that VCs um, are so used to evaluating propositions perhaps is not um, it's not an accurate tool anymore, or it's not something that is as useful as perhaps it once was in the space that founders are now operating in and the speed they particularly want to operate at as well. I, I would add something else to that, um, is that you, you also have the authority amongst your peers, right? Like the, mm. the, 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 you're, you're not making the claim that you're, um, you know, Mark Ronson or, you know, the, or Brian Eno or something like that. You're not saying you are the, the, the sort of the, right at the pinnacle in that way, but you're saying amongst your community that you want to launch creator into, you have the influence and respect for them to take you seriously and to listen to what you have to say, which I think is a fundamental aspect of founder market fit. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. I guess it's like every stage you're trying to use what you have already in hand to say, look, I've got some proof and then you know, give me some capital to then get the next proof, which will then give me some more capital to get the next proof. And you kind of keep going until you exit. And I think the very early phases are so ill-defined or tricky for both sides really to have a kind of common language or common way of analyzing and, and pitching businesses and ideas um, that both struggle or are really slow or you get loads of kind of silly no's like I even just saw someone posted on LinkedIn um, the first five rejections for Airbnb's first round um, when they're valued at one and a half million and they're you know trying to raise for 10% equity and the emails are like you know um the space isn't big enough oh this isn't really a focus for enough all the stuff that us founders hear all the time and then you think well there just was probably no um helpful tools for either side founders or investors to correctly evaluate one another or give the um proposition enough space given the founder's history or hustle or whatever proof points they had pre-product that then would mean you know add um weight to the fact that it was going to be a massive success story yeah okay i'm, I'm going to return back to to, to to that that point um i'm curious do you have uh, anything that builds on that in terms of kind of that trying to communicate do you have it a tangible maybe conversation without giving away any names unless you want to of where you've tried to communicate that point of view that founder market fit and it hasn't quite worked and why you think that is the case yeah, it's such an interesting topic. Um, so I do have a lot of examples of this. And I do, I guess what I would like to add to this topic is that what's helped significantly is actually not even talking about the um, the problem that we're solving today and why we're the best people to solve it, but more so just giving previous examples of um, things that, that, that I've done in the past. Like, so for example, um, started a t-shirt clothing brand at university um, and, you know, scaled that, growed that and generated X thousands of pounds of revenue in a few months. Um, and so giving these like other little examples of previous proof points to you being kind of like what Henry just said, like 
um, just having that grit and hustle, um, but not related to the thing that you're solving today. That's been super helpful. Um, but talking about the problem that we're solving today and, uh, and the experience, um, I think the biggest challenge for us is, um, like we don't have years and years and years, years of experience. Like kind of like Henry does in the space. Like we only have like maybe two or three years of experience, but we, we know the problem so well because we experienced it intensely for those two to three years. Um, but that doesn't seem enough sometimes like they kind of like investors kind of almost want you to have like more experience, like, um, 10, 15 years, but from like Henry's experience, it sounds like that's still not enough. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I, I, I'm not really sure what the solution is here. Um, but I also think like investors at the early stages are using seed and series A metrics to evaluate pre-seed when fundamentally it really only comes down to like two things. It, it's just the team and the vision because the product is ultimately going to change. The business model is ultimately going to change. You're still, you know, trying to find your fee and speaking to customers and, you know, going through that journey. So you're really just betting on the people behind the company. And I do agree. We don't really have the tools yet to, to identify that and define that. And that's why more recently I have been leaning on, you know, past experiences of, you know, having a t-shirt clothing business, having an ironing clothing business, like what, what, like ironing people's clothes, sorry, like whatever it is, like selling candy, selling revision notes, um, you know, turning down a PhD scholarship, those kind of things, um, you know, have helped, but I don't know if it's going to take us all away just yet. Yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems nuts that if you've got two to three years of, you know, of, of being immersed in the problem and you've built it because you needed it yourself, which is, which is, I have always seen is the best reason to create anything that you're having to go back even further into sort of your biography and find these proof points, which are simply just providing comfort, I guess, that you're a credible person rather than actually looking at, okay, you know, evaluating you and choose a block on its own terms based on those two, three years to, to, to as to why you created it in the first place um and why you and your team are the right people to solve the problem i'm just gonna bounce to claire because there's there's lots here that i want to come back to claire do you want to add to your experience of that because you've yours is a very technical you know with untap you you i, I my understanding is you are you know a very technical team that demonstrates this but even but you you've had similar experiences so we've actually got the exact flip problem um we're trusted straight away on founder fit because no one knows anything about sewage um, so my background is I've worked on loads of engineering roles. I've got a PhD in aerospace with Rolls-Royce. And I've been doing DD for investors um, in technical um, uh, technical investments for years and years. And that's increasingly been more and more water tech and sewage tech over time because it's a super interesting and growing industry. So when I finished my PhD with Rolls-Royce, I, I finished during the pandemic, which is a terrible time for aerospace. So I went into sewage innovation full time and worked in the COVID-19 pandemic in analyzing sewage. And what we found was um, where the government was doing it, it was really slow. They wanted new tech, all this kind of stuff and learned loads about it, worked there for a year or so, then joined Entrepreneur First, met Jay. He has a PhD in building water tech. So we came together and started this company, both of us with a background in water tech, um, and both with PhDs. And we say that and straight away, people trust that we're the right people. And I'm not sure they should because 
well, I, I know they should, but I'm not sure um, they truly understand that it's just taken straight away that we're the right people because we both have backgrounds in water tech without fully understanding that it's such a big industry. And there's so much more to it than people realize. So that's been something that has been quite surprising, actually. And it's taken quite a long time, actually, even when we've got investors on board to really educate them as to what uh, what's needed for this tech. So it's actually been the uh, slightly different problem. So can, you, can you just unpack that? Can you give us an example of that conversation and where it um, it breaks down? So where so you have this immediate point of credibility. There's this bound of market fear that's recognised. Like you said, sometimes maybe maybe too much so, lazily so. And then where does it break down post that? Like it's a, so sort of what Henry McCurious was saying. They they demonstrate that, and then even that's not enough to kind of bridge the gap, which we'll explore in a minute. But what 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 happens in your conversations around this when you're when you're having this kind of conversation? Yeah, sure. So um, when we first started, we raised from Entrepreneur First an SOS fee last summer. Straight away, it was, well, you guys can build this without needing to hire anyone. You've got all the technical skills on board already. And it was explaining that sewage tech is not something that two people can build. We need to have loads of other skills, such as electronics engineers, mechanical engineers. But it was kind of assumed that because both of us have the background in it, that we had the whole skill set already. Um, so it wasn't fully appreciated that the number of skills within one industry that can be needed. It, it was just, um, yeah, that was really what we found during the raising process last summer with SOSV and Hacks, uh, was just how many skills we needed to provide in that sector. So there wasn't enough sophistication from the VC to, to sort of understand a spectrum of, of, of capacities and skills that you needed to solve the problem. And that's that's the, that's the issue here. What we found was uh, once you sit down and really explain the space and how much tech there is in sewage, I want you to explain um, the really cool facts about sewage, right, that you can detect viruses a week faster than you can um, through nasal testing and these kinds of things. Once you start explaining that, then people get really, really interested and understand more about like the medical requirements we need for our tech and then the uh, just the full spectrum of skills that are needed. But straight away off the bat, it's assumed that you have all the skills already. Right, it's an interesting problem to have, where where you're yeah you're given too much sort of benefit of the doubt rather than critical analysis of this is where we add value, this is the like the right money for you. Um, let, let let let's let's talk about how that translates into each of your pitch decks um, and the frustrations that you've had with those as as instruments to kind of convey this story. Um, as we heard from the stats, this you know this it's ridiculous how. Uh, this comes up over and over again. It's the same thing, right? The, 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 the focus is on the pitch deck because it's the only main tool and it's got this legacy of 30, 40 years of being the main tool and no one's really looked at it again. No one really looks properly at the pitch deck beyond seems two to three minutes max. Um, and then once that once that engagement has been created by the pitch deck, it's invariably forgotten about. The minute, particularly the minute any investment act because no one then refers back to the pitch deck and then moves into other strategy and milestone-based documents. So what's been um uh kind of reverse order sort of click you know with your pitch deck what's been the relationship with with the pitch deck and the frustrations with it to try and communicate this and you know and trying to create the, the conversation that you want and close the investment that you want uh, for firstly it's crazy that founders are trying to build a business whilst also doing graphic design on a pitch deck it drives me absolutely wild um but so we've raised over a long period of time as um we started raising in April, then I had to take a few months off for personal reasons, then we came back this summer. 
and we developed a lot of traction, a lot of text change. We had to completely redo the pitch deck. And it's insane that we're trying to get customers and we're trying to get investment, but then I'm spending a morning or an afternoon doing like small moving images by one or two um, bits left or right to make it look good. When a pitch deck or when something that requires graphic design is something that is a huge part of selling your company to investors, you know it's fundamentally wrong. It can't be right that you're wasting time building that when you should be building your company. Yeah, the, the image is sort of nudge, nudging a photo or a graphic to the left while you're trying to solve problems around sewage is quite a, quite a contrast. Um, Analyzing, you know, solve a very deep problem um, that must be must be very very sort of bewildering. I, th- I think it is bewildering for a lot of founders who again who have the founder market fit who just want to solve the problem when they realize they suddenly meet this pitch deck as an instrument and they suddenly realize, oh my god, I'm going to actually have to put a lot of time and effort into this. And it's the last thing that they want to, you know, it, it, it feels like the least valuable thing that they can spend time on. And yet it's being requested. And, and then you get the sort of like the, 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 the kicker that then there's only two to three minutes is being spent, you know, reviewing these things. And then they're forgotten. I know a founder, that um, he, uh, he, he saw that they'd spent 17 seconds on, a, on their pitch deck. They requested it. They're in a very sort of deep, deep tech space. And so he was so frustrated that he sent us 17 roses um, and, and a box of chocolates for each second he, um, this, this VC had spent on uh, reviewing the pitch there. He, he heard nothing back. He should figure she should just ate the box of chocolates. Um, but anyway, that is sort of quite a story of how frustrating it can get. Um, I'm curious, do you, do you want to talk about, you know, you, you know when you sort of suddenly, I, I know you've run other businesses, I'm not sure, you know, the ones that you talked about, whether they would have had a pitch deck. But when you, when you, when you, got to the you know the, where the, where you realized this was the tool what what was that like trying to understand you know how that tool mediates this conversation what's the frustrations you know how many times have you changed it you know how do you feel that's added any value yeah so i think what i've really enjoyed about a pitch deck is it really helps you you know in 10 slides kind of distill down your business in the most simple way which then actually just helps in a lot of different ways like if you're having conversations with customers with potential partners and with investors so the 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 actual process of building a pitch deck is actually really helpful but when it comes to a pitch deck as a tool for raising money that's kind of like uh where, where it falls short sorry um and i think like one of the biggest problems now is in the world of remote work and you know COVID and so forth, you're basically sending this pitch deck via email with no further guidance. So like the investor goes through it in their own time and you can't like add any more context as if you would if you were pitching in person. Um, because you don't want to, you know, overload the slides with, you know, so much text that it gets overwhelming. So you provide as little text as possible so it's digestible, but a lot of the context is actually lost. That's one issue. Um, The second thing that we've struggled with is we're essentially operating in like a new vertical or a new quadrant. And a lot of people um, don't quite understand the problem we're solving yet. And their initial, you know, biases or whatever kind of assume that it's X or Y and we're just not that. And so we're having to do a lot of explaining of what we're not before we can get to what we are. And that's been super challenging, again, in this like uh, context of descending the pitch deck with no further information. And so what we've done recently as a result of this is I've actually moved away from using Docsend 
and started using a platform called Pitch. And that's been super helpful because you can actually add little videos on each of the slides to give that context that's been missing. So that's that's dramatically helped us. Um, and then the other thing that's really helped us is um, providing further documentation. So we have like, I, when I send the pitch deck, I send like a frequently asked questions notion document now as well. And we also have our five-year financials and um, product features all tagged within the deck itself. Uh, and so investors can click through and read those documents as well as just the deck on, and as well as, you know, the videos that we've added on top as well. So they actually are spending a little bit more time. Like we're forcing them to spend a little more, a little bit more time on the deck because of this. And those that are actually interested actually do watch the videos because when we do get in the calls, I can see that from the questions that they're asking, they have taken the time to digest that. But um, I don't know if this is the, the be all and end all solution. I also ag agree with Claire. It's taken us an insane amount of time to kind of craft something that looks beautiful and that is straight to the point. Um, and so I, th I think um, the model is still broken, but those are some of the kind of like hacks that we've, that we've used so far that have helped us. And you, you, you mentioned before we started recording that you were actually with real human VCs again, don't have to mention any names yesterday. Was that right? Like, I mean, what was the, what was the, what was the, um, you know, actually being in front of someone and being able to kind of pitch to a person. What, what was that like? Yeah, it was yesterday and it was fascinating. It felt really formal. <laughs> um, but it was different in the sense that I actually didn't even get out my pitch deck. I didn't even open my laptop. It was more of an informal conversation where I was, you know, talking them through the problem um, and then talking them through my background and why we're the best people to solve this problem and really just unpacking what we're not to them and what we are and the differences um, and what makes our platform so unique and special. Um, and yeah, it was honestly more of a informal chat more than anything. Like I didn't have any materials that I was going through. Um, we spent an hour just talking, didn't even get around to like showing them a product demo. So I'm actually recording a, a loom video right now with the product demo to send over to them. But yeah, it was honestly just an informal chat. Do you want to discover the UK's most interesting early stage deep tech and B2B startups? You do? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Martin SFP Bryant. And every Tuesday and Thursday, I send Pre-Seed Now to the inboxes of investors and entrepreneurs around the world with an in-depth profile of a fresh, exciting B2B or deep tech startup you need to know about. Subscribe now at preseednow.com. Yeah, who knew, right? Talking to right. someone. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Um, Henry, again, you know, because you've been through one round and like, you know, your pitch deck's iterated many times. Do you do you feel you're at peak iteration or do you still are you still having to kind of tweak it all the time? Oh, yeah, I'm still moving logos one picture <laughs> at a time. I mean, it just so resonate with what both Claire and Mercurius have said. Like, it's it's a very inaccurate tool for measuring what are probably some of the better indicators of success like grit determination passion like the, trying to translate those into a 10 slide pdf is you know why you're also trying to talk about business model and market size and all this other kind of expected paraphernalia is so difficult and can't 
you know, it's, it's hard for VCs to discern that kind of information from such a document. Or I've even had it before where, you know, I've had a rejection from a VC with some kind of slightly generic reasoning. And you think, oh, hang on, my pitch deck addresses that specific point. And you look on the docs end link, and like, oh, yeah, you didn't even get to that slide. You've written it off with some other, you know, some other reason. So I think the, the format is not super adequate. And as Claire highlighted, it's such a large time suck trying to prepare this phenomenal looking, you know, super concise um, document. Um, but I also think, yeah, like Mercurius was saying, like Loom is such a powerful tool for just being able to firstly show the product and show what it does, which you can, you know, it's like if a picture says a thousand words, then a video says a million words. And then also alongside showing what value your product can deliver to customers also shows your determination, you know, your passion. You can describe it. You come across much more accurately as a person and can kind of shortcut that um, phase of the process. But because there's such an expectation from VCs that you should be providing a slide deck and it should be this many slides and it has to have this set of slides in there and if it doesn't have that exact in those exact ingredients then we're going to write you off immediately it's quite a narrow view particularly if you're assessing someone who is very early you know when i was first pitching for my first round two years ago it was asked for you know three-year financial forecasts you're like i haven't even got like anything yet this is really finger in the wind then you provide three year and then some people are like well what about years four five and six this this is just insane and it's going to change so drastically it's going to be not even worth the paper i've written it on or the pdf i've written it on by the time i deliver it so i think having vcs that are more open to accepting different tools or different ways for a founder to communicate like i had quite a cool experience with a vc where their process was something like 10 12 stages but all much, much smaller chunks, like a 10 minute, um, you know, just high and just check you're in the right kind of phase and geography for our thesis. And then um, two video questions and the videos had to be no more than a minute. So it's like kind of really, and at each stage they could say, you know, you're going to progress or you're going to say no. So the amount of time I had to devote to that relationship was I mean, way lower from my end. And then also evaluating options from their end as well was much, much less time investment per pitch. Um, so I thought that was actually quite a good, at least thinking outside the box in how you can evaluate these this, these relationships, these pitches. Also what you're suggesting there, so this is this is fundamental to sort of the founder tech pitch, we've kind of got to it, is so that when these tools behave as utilities and they just sort of get out of the way and create clarity. So what you're describing there is obviously, it's, it's not only better in terms of efficiency, but the degree of like the setting the expectations of what's being evaluated. And then you, if you, if you don't make it through that, you know why you're not, you haven't made it through that because it's in a much smaller tranche of evaluation and all the tool, you know, whether, it, whether it's Loom or Docset or any, you know, all of these tools, when they behave as sort of utilities that they kind of get out the way and enable the founder and the investor to connect properly and deeply and then elevate the action. And then, and then if you get through that gate, you are actually then in a proper conversation that seems to be the whole um, sort of destination of this. And then when you kind of couple that with, there's this move towards much more sort of founder-driven capital or solo capitalists, where you've got founders who have exited, who are starting funds or ha- have the funds, um, who can actually invest um, fully on the through line of their point of view. 
they know what it is to kind of get the, that other stuff out of the way. They're not really interested in it so much. They, but the tools still have to provide that level of comfort. So the, the solo capitalist is like, you know, the individual has got 20, 30 million under management, the same as a fund, and can be like you're the one person on your cap table, can add all the value, all the networks, but genuinely understands the risk that they're taking and can act quickly. Um, because I think that's the other thing that comes up with this, right, is that we, we, which we should address is the, the amount of time that this takes that it seems to be inefficient. Again, Henry, the scenario that would be great to kind of stick in the, in the notes as to, to what, who, who that fund was and, and, and celebrate that. It's like the, 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 they, are, they are valuing your time and their time, but you've all alluded to the amount of wastefulness um, and the feeling of kind of why am I doing this? And, and I think that that's actually mirrored on the VC side themselves. One of the insights that, that came up was a lot of the times when VCs are asking this is because of two things. One is because they've come from a financial background and therefore they, they only can evaluate through the, the metrics of, of sort of fi you know, financial instruments or financial modeling, which is why they go, they, they go to that. You, you would have all heard, as does every founder, sorry, it's a pass. It's too early, right? You send your pitch deck in, you follow up. It's a pass. Um, you're, 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 you don't demonstrate customer, you know, your customer lifetime value is not clear. Your NPS isn't clear. Customer acquisition cost isn't clear. We can't get a level of comfort around product market fit. So we are going to pass. Right. And that is invariably the conversation for most of these uh, founder uh, investor conversations in the pre-seed space. And that's why it's they're, they're coming to that conclusion, as we can see from the stats um, from that report within three minutes. Now, that is incredibly frustrating, particularly is if, as we've discussed, people are spending a lot of time trying to get this pitch deck right, trying to get the attention of investors. What I've been told now on good authority is that is not actually what's being communicated. That's sorry, it, it sounds like that, but the intent is actually not that of the underlying intent. What they're actually saying is, we don't believe that you have found a market fit. Um, but we, we find that really difficult to say to you because we're saying a human to human, we don't think you're good enough. But what, we, what we're looking for is you have found a market fit. And with it, if we give you half a million pounds of pre-seed capital, we, would, we think you can then leverage that found a market fit to achieve product market fit within two years. So not with this amount of money, you will achieve product market fit. But within two years, you'll get to a point where we can then do a larger round where you've demonstrated product market fit. The problem we keep having, right, is that we describe how our product is going to solve a problem, but the education piece in explaining how our product is going to solve the problem is quite big and vast because people don't have the knowledge in the space, and we feel that people often turn off in the education piece at the beginning, or I'm not doing it very well, one of the two. And so people say there's not a market or don't understand how you're solving a market's problem. And I think maybe they are thinking that as well and just not saying it. And that's a horrible thing to hear. But yeah, there's, there's definitely some truth in that. And uh, that's, yeah, sad yeah. to hear, but probably the case. <laughs> if you think of like, well, with the, with the two things to connect, right? So what they're actually saying is we don't know how to value the founder market fit properly in order to determine if we give you this capital, you can get to product market fit. So it's like we don't know how to do that bit where we started the conversation. So we can't actually do an accurate read of that. Um, so therefore, we can't get to these other, you know, you're too early for these other metrics. So it's just this kind of like, you know, this 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 thing that everybody hears, this generic kind of path. This is where, it's why I believe there's this kind of too early 
the past, the same language everyone hears. When I heard that insight, I was like, I think that's at the heart of it. I think that's what's going on is that you're getting VCs unable to kind of get the, the insight, the founder market for insight and data that they need to have a proper conversation. And because they don't have that data, they can't have a, they can't reject the founder properly and say, hey, this aspect of your founder market fit concerns us, or we felt that there was a gap here. But if you went away and improved this, you can come back to us in two months because we would like to see, you know, thought leadership around this aspect of your business. It's because there isn't that nuance to be able to, to hone in at that level that it's defaulting to a rejection based on product market fit. And that, I think, is like the dirty secret that's not really been um, articulated. Um, yeah, I agree. There's two things here, right? One, we've had some VCs that have been amazing and actually said that they're amazing for the wrong reasons. They've said, look, we don't think you guys have fully... Um, solve the problem we're not sure you guys can solve this uh, right now come back to us in a few months and that's great that's proper feedback the ones that aren't saying that um, and that are giving fake answers people are replying by email you haven't even got to say it's someone's face just tell the truth um, so that that's that was great when people actually give real feedback but two the amount of time that startups spend on their pitch deck and preparing all these documents you really anticipate getting a full answer but then the other side i appreciate investors get so many pitch decks out of them they haven't got time to review them all properly so we're coming back to this problem right where there's there's not there needs to be something in between there needs to be a better way of these two bodies coming together because it just it isn't working right now that there needs to be something better to clean out um, the wrong startups from the vcs and the wrong vcs from the startups to make that transaction much more um more involved yeah um the way the way you can think about it is think pre-airbnb right let's say you were uh, looking to go to portugal or to lisbon and to find like a you know someone's home to rent it was an impossible it would have been very 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 difficult you know to find that and, and kind of got a double-sided marketplace where you've got the person with the property person looking for the property right it's the same thing right the founder has the 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 property and then the investor is looking for it it should work in the same way i believe is where we're heading is where you know that investor is looking um looking to you know invest in deep deep tech in certain sectors they have a point of view like i said they are a solo capitalist they're founder driven they they have people who can understand the space in that way and then they can say who are the four people who are solving that problem or or, or even addressing that problem through these filters, just like you would do in Airbnb, you know, I want the whole flat, I want it to be near the sea or whatever it may be these days. And suddenly on a map, you pop up the four people that are tackling that problem. And then you're using tools to kind of, just like you would in Airbnb, you're communicating, you're evaluating, you're making decisions. And then, and then you know, the, the actual value is in the, in the exchange once it's happened and, the, and you're experiencing the property. And I think it should work like that. I don't see why it can't work like that. And I think this is one of the ironies that we talked about just at the end of series two is that, you know, you've got, a, you've got an industry that has absolutely no problem. In fact, its whole sort of, um, its whole sort of uh, purpose is to go into sectors and disrupt them with new technologies and new tech tech ed tech sewage tech um what what tech are you henry music tech rights tech <laughs> maybe create maybe create tech i don't i don't create whatever you know the point being that everybody everybody goes into you know they have no problem in applying new tools to completely reimagine the piping of that marketplace you know how we it works that. and yet with their with, with themselves you're literally dealing with the pitch decks are 30 40 year old tool with dealing with the same metrics so it's like why can't we have founder tech that 
just reconfigures all of this and makes it behave as this two-sided marketplace. Um, Henry, do you have any views on that? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, as like an encouraging story, the best um, investor interaction I've had was, you know, I thought about starting this company. I'd already run a business, but not a venture business, hadn't raised. So I reached out to an old friend who's a CEO of a Series A company and said, I've got this idea. I think about raising capital. And he immediately said, I know you. I know you've been in the market. But I don't know many details. I'll invest. And then he said, and I'll intro you to my CFO and he can probably help you on that side. And we'll you know, see how we can help you put together your round. I had one meeting with the CFO and then he said, you're great. I know nothing about the industry or your, you know, or you personally, but I can see from this half an hour meeting what you're trying to achieve. I'll invest. And then those two then introduced me to, you know, hundreds of different connections and people that were friends of friends that they thought might be useful. And in terms of their value add, the actual capital they put in was very, very small, but it was closed so fast. And then they immediately saw the value in, you know, how else can we kind of pump up this founder? How can we um, help him be more likely to succeed on his journey? And obviously, in terms of, you know, practically, how can we see a return on the investment that we've committed to him? And those are, you know, those have been just phenomenal for me as a founder. And I guess it's then how do you bake that into every interaction you have with every VC? Because it also is, you know, in their interests, like a slow yes is almost worse than a fast no. Like I'd rather, you know, within a week someone say, no, this is not for us and I can move on rather than spending lots of time and lots of meetings trying to slowly convince someone like it's in the VC's interest if they're going to say yes, to say yes fast and then get you cracking. But then it's trying to make that a kind of scalable and repeatable process that both founders and VCs know is the new rules of the game. And I think VCs that get that are going to quickly outstrip those that are still in the old way of working. So totally. I mean, if you if you if you think that the ratio is probably still going to apply, this would be a small, you know, declared to your point about how many paychecks they're getting. Let's say they get a thousand, which wouldn't be a lot a year. They immediately need to call that to 500. They kind of got to get to kind of like a due diligence on 40, partner vote on 20, invest in 10. That would be, you know, I don't see those odds. It's not the problem with those odds. It's as Henry was talking about. It's like, you know, it's the way that you get to the 10 and the way that, that like you said, like a fast no, but this this understood. No one has a problem with that. And you and you know, you want to be part of that 10 where you really feel like you're being considered, evaluated properly, understood, the right capital is being applied, networks are being leveraged, all, all of that stuff. So this leads to the kind of concluding part of the conversation, and maybe we'll jump to you, we're curious that how I, I'm kind of calling it like duo diligence, like you know, due diligence, but with we're both we're both because part, part of where we're getting to is where the founder is evaluating the VC or the investor, um, in, in the same way as the investor is inval- evaluating the founder. And I've heard from really the, the, Henry alluded to there are this wave of founders, uh, sorry, um, investors, um, founder driven capital perspective who expect to be evaluated. They see that it's a relationship and they actually see it as a mark of sophistication and confidence if a founder is asking the right questions. So if we just go with this idea of like duo diligence, um, what what have you have you experienced that? Have you done that? Have you tried that? Or have there been moments where you thought, oh, I'd really like to ask uh, this investor this question and, and haven't done so? And just, just any insight into that? I'm curious. Yes, I have done that. And recently, actually. But before I jump into that, Dan, I just want to touch on Henry's point, um, like the slow no. So we actually experienced that 
last month and it was honestly a traumatic experience in the sense that I think we literally had eight meetings it was ridiculous and basically at the end they said no and their reason was we think this is a nice to have product versus a necessity (laughs) made no sense because why couldn't you just tell me that from the beginning um and so that was yeah that was I think by far our worst experience for sure what did you say just out of interest again not naming names i'm assuming you didn't say flowers but what did or a horse head or something like that like what, what, what did you say what did you say to them and did you just was it is it just you thought i'll be polite or did you did you counter you know counterpoint that um honestly i think at that point i had lost respect for them um and so i thought well there's really no value in me going back and saying anything or trying to convince them so i just said Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. But then, you know, I told so many of my friends about it who are also founders, <laughs> right? And then that's like, that's a huge problem for that VC now because they're just losing credibility within the community. And I think VCs often don't think about that. They think, you know, they have the power dynamic and, you know, you know, founders always want money. So they're always going to have deal flow. But I think that's such a flawed assumption that like VCs really need to put behind them. Otherwise, like Henry said, they're just going to get run to the ground. Um, and so, yeah, I just played it cool, to, to, to be honest, Dan. How, how would you like that to work in an ideal world, that kind of duo diligence idea? How, how would you like that to sort of be, you know, that, that, so it's not an asymmetrical, it is level, you're ask, both asking questions, because you, you are going on a journey with someone, you are dating each other, essentially, you know, to kind of then go on this committed journey to each other, even if it's early stages. They're on your cap table, they have a point of view, you know, you have responsibility. So how, how would you like to, that conversation to ideally unfold? Um, yeah, so uh, if we get like past the first or second meeting, what I often do is then reach out to their portfolio and try and engage with the founders that they've invested in previously to understand more about them. Um, and really, if I don't get good energy or good vibes from the founders, um, we typically try to kill the conversation quite quickly. Um just to save them time to save me time um and kind of like what henry was saying like just a quick no right and that's like on our side too like the founders can also say no (laughs) right it is a two-way street and we've done that in the past um and so yeah i definitely do that like that's a huge thing for me um and i've also realized recently there is like a new platform called landscape vc which is kind of um doing that work for founders if you will which is brilliant um so i think that is super helpful um and yeah just like speaking to the founders that they've already um kind of invested in is just provides color to what your relationship with that vc could look like that's it's a brilliant point we actually spoke to last year it was like the first or second episode in the first series so that they are doing amazing work in this space that point of um interviewing or reaching out to founders on their portfolio is is just super smart and and you hear that you hear that it's like every founder that receives that email will respond right they will they will give you that information another way is that you the cap tables are available at company's house so you can actually see you know who who else they've invested in because what's come up i don't think it's what you you know the the conversation we're having here but it does come up within sort of angel investors you get in angel investors who are on linkedin saying they're angel investors but really they put five ten grand in into their brother-in-law's business 
and just and they say and and you can actually work it out quite quickly. It's a very crude piece of data by literally going to company's house. So they are, that's that's a kind of form of due diligence. But I really really like the way one of kind of contacting the other founders in their portfolio, which obviously you can see on their website who they've invested in. Um, Claire, do you have any views on this sort of due diligence idea or how you'd ideally like to work or things that you've used? So I think that the founder community and network is invaluable, right? I talk to my other friends that are founders about who I want to reach out to or who I have reached out to, and people share horror stories very quickly. Um, I don't think that's appreciated enough. I've not followed up with investment calls because of other people's feedback. That isn't ignored by people. People don't want to work with people they're not going to get on with or that have treated people badly in the past. And yeah, there is it's a lot more two way than I appreciated it would be, or that might be appreciated by VCs actually. And yeah, so there needs to be um, landscape's a great tool, and we've used that a lot. Yeah, there needs to be more of a two way flow, and reaching out to other portfolio companies is a really great idea that we haven't done that actually we'll consider in the future. Do you let's let's say uh, uh, investor approaches you? What's the what's the two things that you would like to know about that investor right from the get-go that would be super valuable? How they're going to interact with us. So some people want to have an email once a week. Some people, I have their WhatsApp and I text them and we go for coffees and they're really great. Like How they want to interact with you and then what they're willing to provide. Can you sit down and complain about something and they'll help you fix it or do they only want positive feedback because that's what some people want right they just want positive validation in what they've invested in is the right thing so how they're going to interact with you is really really important and um, actually what they're there to do support you or just uh, be part of the journey essentially they're the two things yeah so framing those expectations from the from the, the very very early conversation, yeah, so you don't go absolutely. three months down the line expecting that support in certain ways, and it's not there. Absolutely, I, I've got that wrong in the past with talking to people and expecting something different what they're prepared to give, and it, it's a bit uncomfortable at the beginning. So once you understand what they're prepared to give and how the relationship's going to work, then going forward with that, it's it's, it's very easy. But you need to solve that problem at the beginning. I lived in China for 16 years and thought I could learn Chinese via osmosis. What an idiot I was. So my Chinese only got to a basic level and I missed out loads of opportunities. Now, if you're practicing your pitch and you're working towards connecting with investors, inspiring your team, selling to your customers, doing great introductions on podcasts, and you only practice when the opportunity knocks, the practice is slow. So come and join us at Pitch Club. My name is Martin Barnes. All the information for Pitch Club is available online. We would love to see you there where you can practice your pitch. Pitch Club, best place in the world to improve your pitching. Great. Well, Henry, just a bit before we sort of wrap up, do you think there's a parallel, given your background in the music industry, between A&R and artists here? Are there some, any lessons that we can learn from, from that world? probably just as broken <laughs> <laughs> undoubtedly yeah. um yeah i mean it's very very parallel and perhaps even you know this the a and r could learn something from these kind of conversations you know data is playing more and more of a role um sometimes the wrong metrics you know in the a and r massively looking at social media stats which aren't perhaps you know the best indicator of whether this person's going to be successful or not but in the end the decisions 
pretty much made on a gut feel you know do does the person resonate with the artist um do they believe in them or their music or that they can take that somewhere um but it's the, it's the same thing that it's such a weird dance for both parties trying to evaluate one another and actually probably even harder on the artist side because everything is so opaque and it's very very difficult to see what life in that agreement will look like moving forward which i guess yeah, actually is, is the same um for founders you know as claire was saying you don't really know uh what your re- ongoing relationship is going to be like or if in you know three four years you're going to have been glad that you took that capital and had that person involved in running your business um but i think there's yeah definitely scope for innovation um and finding more efficient ways for both parties to be able to evaluate one another i think i think it goes where there's an interesting parallel when you know what you said about what you want is an investor that can make quick decisions back their point of view you know really trust themselves add loads of value very quickly accelerate things that is like a good a&r man signing an artist you know in a small venue but but they can they then have the capacity to you know massively um amplify that that artist exactly like if, if you're if you're an artist and you get signed then the last thing you want is to kind of be left at the bottom of the pile with no one concentrating on you or and the best thing if you're going to make that deal from the label side is then to back it to put money into it to accelerate it to make you know connections and put them in songwriting sessions and get an album out and put a big marketing budget behind it you've got to double down on that decision and i think it's odd that vcs would eventually get to a yes but suck all the blood and life out of a founder in that process which then doesn't help them when they finally you know send across the cash but the vcs who understand that uh, are you know putting cash in quick deciding quick and then doing you know, moving heaven and earth for that founder because they know that's how they're going to get a return on their investment or increase the likelihood of a big exit yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right i think it's a really good place to finish that well, this is not just uh even though we're having a founder discussion there is a massive 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 opportunity and first mover advantage for investors vcs that behave in this way you know learn how to communicate in this way uh evaluate in this way identify founders in this way just there is i really believe that there is a whole uh, exactly as it sort of sort of you know exemplified in this conversation a whole wave of founders that are smart that know they're already using these founder type based tools that we've been talking about landscapes another one of them that what just want the investors to pave in this way um and and i think i think there is a wave. It's not there yet, but there is a there's a rising recognition that if you have a fund, your point of differentiation is is how you behave in this way. Um, just before we wrap up, and um, is there anything that um, just to close? Um, and again, maybe just we'll start with go Henry Mercurius Claire. Um, anything you want to sort of add as a wrap up, and then anything about creator um, or Mercurius Tutor Block or Claire on tap that just to close the conversation. So any anything you'd like to add to the conversation, then any any shout out um, for for your startup. Yeah, I mean plus one for um, Landscape VC, and they also have an anonymous founders Slack, um, amazing community. You know, everyone kind of hits upon the same set of problems as a founder. So to have people you can emotionally share those with, or rant about things, or ask questions of, I found super super helpful. Uh, and in terms of Creator Club, if you're a music creator, you probably know that you're not being paid fairly or accurately or quickly. Um, and I can probably help you with that. So go to our website, creatorclub.com. I will leave your, obviously, everybody's um, LinkedIn and and, and, if, um, and and email as well to connect. 
Um, okay, great. Thanks, Henry. I'm curious, anything you'd like to finish the conversation with and then, yeah, shout out for TutorBot. I just want to say thank you, Dan. I really do appreciate you putting this together. Um, it's been great to, you know, chat about this topic. I think it's super important. The more, the more we can rally together, the more I think we can really make change happen. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Um, regarding TutorBlock, if you are a um, educator, coach, uh, professional, um, nutritionist, anybody really who teaches a skill or a subject on a synchronous one-to-one -one basis and that you are you know essentially running a one-person business and you are really struggling with using you know eight different tools spending 100 pound a month on those tools don't really like using pipedrive and hubspot and zoom and all of these generic uh platforms to to run your business we can really help you so go over to tutorblock.com hit the request access button and we are onboarding uh, people every single week um, and we would love to have you. Awesome, Claire, final word. Hi, I just wanna say thanks as well. Um, I appreciate that we've been talking from a founder's perspective, but this is obviously such a two-sided problem, um, the founder and the investor, and it's super nuanced on the investor side as well. We've obviously spoken to a few that have said, um, they don't quite fit in prop tech or so it, it, the sectors don't quite work either. And as everything becomes more broad spectrum and sectors fall away and you're crossing two different sectors, it's difficult for both parties to explain exactly where they're at. And there's nothing discreet about it. Everyone is on a slightly different founder journey and it's just a very difficult problem for everyone to solve. And also regarding untap. So if you want to have a healthier, more productive office and reduce sickness, within your office of flu, COVID, norovirus, et cetera, please get in touch with us. We're Claire at untapwater.com. Awesome. Um, thanks so much to all of you for participating in um, episode one of series three. We're going to do two more of these, I think, um, get, get each time getting three founders around the table to talk about these issues. Um, I think hopefully what's come across is there are obviously frustrations, um, but there are green, green shoots of sort of renewal and, 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 and it is, is double-sided problem and it is in everyone's interest to sort of get rid of these inefficiencies and, and, and get to fast nose. Um, I, think, I think it's a key theme. Um, no, nobody wants to be stuck with bouncing back a pinch pitch deck that doesn't work, you know, iterating that, asking questions that don't work, market fit questions that don't work. What people want when you've got exceptional founders with founder, you know, clearly demonstrating founder market fit, they just want to be evaluated on that basis and evidently have capital that understands the risks, can align with the risks and also accelerate the upside and make that happen as quickly as possible. Um, no one's trying to get the evaluation out of the way. They're just, they're just for it to happen as quickly as possible in, in a way that's sort of, you know, almost cathartic. It opens up new, new possibilities. So this is sort of the future terrain of, of hopefully where founder tech steps in and starts to kind of, take all of these functions that are inefficient and turn them into utilities so that the real conversation can happen. As, as Curious saying, who knew that actually talking to a person about why you're fixing a problem in face-to-face in -face might be a good idea. And on that note, um, yeah, it's, it's great to have got through uh, episode one in such a rich way.